Christ I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 24. And of course, if you've been with us, you know that we have been on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been studying the Gospel of Luke together uh, for many months now, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we have planned it out to be in Luke chapter 24 today, of course, on Easter Day, to be studying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to just begin this morning by giving you some introductory uh, statements. And I'd actually like you to flip back, if you wouldn't mind, to Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 1, we begin the chapter in the middle of a paragraph. And I want you to just get the context and understand the context. Luke 23, verse 55, the Bible says, And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And then, of course, that is the context of verse number one. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, the they there is referring to the women, came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And what we see here is, of course, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And something that you'll find as you study the gospel records of the resurrection is that it is the women to whom the announcement of Jesus' resurrection was first given. It is the women who actually stood by him during the crucifixion. They were the ones that did not cower. They were the ones that did not run away. There was one disciple... John, who stood there, the rest left him and deserted him. It was the women that stayed with him, and it was the women who have now came to the tomb on the first day of the week. And of course, we talked about this last week. The reason that they are there is because of two characters, one by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, the other by the name of Nicodemus, who at one time were cowards themselves, but at the crucifixion of Christ, they got a little boldness, and they went into Pilate, the Bible tells us, and they uh, begged for the body of Jesus. They were on a time crunch, and they had to prepare the body of Jesus to put it into the tomb before the even, which would be 6 p.m., and before the beginning of the Sabbath day. So as they were in a rush and as they were in a hurry, they prepared the body of Jesus. They laid it in the tomb. The Bible seems to indicate, well, the Bible tells us that the women saw this, and they decided themselves, if you notice back there in Luke 23, 56, that they would return and prepare spices and ointments. And sometimes people debate as to why this is and why it is that the women decided to do this. And we don't know for sure, but I like to think that they saw the men doing it and they thought to themselves, this needs to be done again. They thought that this was not done properly and they could do a better job. Obviously, Nicodemus and uh, Joseph of Arimathea uh, were in a rush and did not have as much time, but this is why the women are there. They are there to prepare and to really fix the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 1 of Luke 24, we're told, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing spices which they have prepared and certain others 
with them. So we see that it is the women to whom it was announced that Jesus had resurrected from the grave. Just one other thing, just by way of introduction, I want you to notice there in verse 1 that the Bible says that this was on the first day of the week. And of course, we know that this is Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday or the Sabbath day is the seventh or last day of the week. They came the first day of the week and they found the resurrected Christ. And this is a reason why Christians from this moment have gathered together and celebrated the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week. This is why we hold church services on Sundays, because this is when Jesus was resurrected. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this to you from Acts chapter 20. Acts 20 and verse 7 says this, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So we'll notice that it became a tradition for believers to meet on the first day of the week, because that is, of course, the Lord's day. Why is it the Lord's day? Because it is the day that the Lord resurrected. And of course, this day we celebrate every Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But today, specifically on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in Luke 24, we of course have one of the accounts of the resurrection. And what I'd like to do this morning is give you several points and several thoughts that we can learn from this passage regarding the resurrection. Now, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. I always encourage you to take notes, and if you're, um, if you're going to write down some things, and I'll give you some points that maybe you can jot down. I'd like to give you several thoughts this morning regarding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one is this. At the resurrection of Christ, and at our, at our passage here in Luke 24, I'd like you to notice that we see a conspicuously missing body. And I use that word conspicuously because of the fact that it is very apparent. It is very uh, observable that there is no body. And again, I want you to understand, as we've already seen, the women came to the tomb not because... And this is something that people sometimes misunderstand. People get this idea sometimes that the women came to the tomb or the disciples came to the tomb on Easter Sunday because it was three days after the resurrection and Jesus had said that he would rise after three days. So they showed up to see if it had happened, if it had actually occurred. But the truth of the matter is that they came to the tomb expecting a body. They were not there as some sort of act of faith. They were not there in order to uh, be able to see if the words of Christ had actually came to pass. They were there, the Bible tells us. They had prepared spices, the Bible tells us. They had prepared certain things, the Bible says, that they came to bring to prepare the body. Look at it again, Luke 24, 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared Prepared for what? For the body. For the body of Christ and certain other women. They came on Easter morning, on the resurrection morning, on the first day of the week. They came expecting a body. Notice verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. We won't take the time to go to other passages, but I want you to understand that the, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. Jesus was already out. The stone was rolled away so that they could see that there was no body in the tomb. The Bible says, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in. Notice what the Bible says. Notice the emphasis 
of the uh, writer here in this gospel and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. They came expecting a body. They found not the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the response to this? Verse 4, And it came to pass as they were much perplexed. That word perplexed means that they were baffled. They were puzzled. They were confused. As they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And here's what I want you to understand. Not only did they come expecting a, a body, but once they got there and the stone was rolled away and they looked inside the sepulcher and they found nobody, they found nobody in the sepulcher, there wasn't this strike of faith that hit the women. And they thought to themselves, well, this is what Jesus had predicted. Or this is what the prophets have prophesied about. This must be the resurrection of the Christ. No, the Bible tells us that they were perplexed thereabout. They were baffled. They were confused. And I'm not picking on the women this morning because the men were no better. Look down at verse number 9 in the same chapter. We'll just skip forward a little bit to verse number 9. Between verses 4 and 9, the women are told by the angels that Jesus resurrected. They then go to the disciples to let them know. Notice the response of the disciples. Luke 24 and verse 9, the Bible says, and returned from the sepulcher, referring to the women, and told all these things unto the eleven. This is referring to the, the disciples. Of course, Judas is now dead, and they went to the eleven and to all the rest, Notice verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Notice the response, verse 11, and their words seemed to them as idle tales. These guys heard the women tell the story about how they went to the tomb, they found nobody, and the angel showed up and told them that Jesus resurrected, and the Bible says that their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes and laid by, them, uh, laid by themselves and departed. Notice again, did Peter respond with, this is what Jesus said. This is what the prophets have prophesied. This is what the Bible's been preparing us for. This this is the resurrected Christ. No, the Bible says at the end of verse 12 that he departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. They came expecting a body. They did not find a body. And I've heard it said this way before, and maybe this will help you remember it. On Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, the resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week when Jesus resurrected from the grave, Nobody expected nobody. Nobody found that the body of Christ was missing and thought, well, this is what the Bible says. Nobody expected to find nobody. Everyone expected to find the body of Christ. And everyone who was told that there was nobody was perplexed, was confused, was disoriented. It sounded to them as idle tales. You say, why would the, Luke, the, the gospel writer Luke take the time to document this for us? I believe that one of the reasons that he documented this for us, of course, number one, is because this is what actually happened. But number two, it is because of the reliability of the Bible. If you remember when we began our journey through the gospel of Luke, 
In Luke chapter 1, we won't take the time to go there, Luke made a promise to us that he would give us an orderly account of the life and ministry of Christ, that he would uh, interview the eyewitnesses, and that he would tell us exactly what happened on those days. And this is what we find Luke doing. He is telling us what happened on that morning. And this is important for you to understand, because there are those who like to teach that the Bible is a myth. There are those who like to teach that the apostles made these stories up years after the event or decades after the event, that these things did not actually happen. But here's what you need to understand about myths. And here's what you need to understand about stories that are made up. Oftentimes, when you find religions with myths, you will find that the so-called witnesses or writers or characters in our myth are heroes. And when people tell stories, they tell the story of themselves as a hero. Some of you do this even now when you go fishing, right? You come back and the fish goes from this to this. It was this big and I, it, was an, it took an hour and it almost got me and, and it got my partner and I had to go in and save him. You tell these stories, we like to make ourselves seem bigger, make ourselves seem bigger. It's called hero mythology. But I will submit to you this morning that one of the reasons that we know the credibility of the scriptures is because these were no heroes. These were not written in as heroes. They were written in as cowards. Now they will rise up and be bold in the book of Acts because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before they knew of the resurrection, you could simply remember it this way. Nobody expected nobody. And it seemed to them as idle tales. They were wondering in themselves at which was come to pass. They were perplexed. At the resurrection of Christ, we see this conspicuously missing body. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, not only do we see a conspicuously missing body, I'd like you to notice, second, that we see a confirmed messiahship. I want you to notice there in verse 4, of course, the women have came to the tomb, and they have found not the body of the Lord Jesus, and they are much perplexed thereabout, we're told in verses 3 and 4. And then in verse 4, we're told, and it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. We know, of course, that these were angels. And I want you to notice that the angels give these women a gentle rebuke. Look at verse 5. And as they were afraid and bowed, themselves, bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, notice what the angels say to the women. Notice this very gentle rebuke. I love this little question they ask. They say, why seek ye the living among the dead? Remember, nobody expected nobody. They came expecting a body. They came expecting a corpse. They came expecting Jesus dead in the sepulcher, needing to be tended to, needing to have his body wrapped with spices and, 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 and the customs of the Jews at that time. And these angels give these women a very gentle rebuke, and they ask a very pointed question, why seek ye the living among the dead? Notice verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. The story of the resurrection is that the disciples came that day seeking the dead. The gentle rebuke is that they should not have been seeking the living among the dead because Jesus was not there. He had risen. 
He is not here, but is risen. We see this gentle rebuke given by the angels, but I want you to notice we also see not only a gentle rebuke, but we see a general reminder. Notice verse 6 again. They said, he's not here, but is risen. And then they tell the women, they say, remember how he spake. They said, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Jesus had already predicted this. Jesus had already tried to prepare them for this. In fact, even in the Gospel of Luke, as we've studied it over the last several months, you'll remember that Jesus had already brought this up. In fact, if you would, go back to Luke chapter 9, just real quickly. Go backwards to Luke chapter 9, and look at verse number 21. Luke chapter 9 and verse 21. The Bible says in Luke 9, 21, And he, this is Jesus, straightly charged them, this is the disciples, and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, here's what he told them, here's what he charged them, here's what he already uh, prepared them for and predicted of himself, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, referring to himself. The Son of Man is a term that he used to designate himself more times in the Gospels than any other term. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes. Notice what he says, and be slain and be raised the third day. He'd already told them these things were going to happen. He'd already made it clear that this was going to happen. This was no secret. In fact, if you remember, the Pharisees already knew that Jesus had predicted this, which is why they went to Pilate and asked him to put a, 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 a stone uh, at the mouth of the sepulcher and to put a guard of soldiers there to keep the disciples from coming and stealing the body of Jesus at night and then stating that it had been resurrected. It's interesting to me. Jesus told them, the enemies were anticipating it, but the disciples themselves, the followers themselves, had a lapse in their memory and did not remember that Jesus had predicted this. Nobody who actually loved Jesus, nobody who actually followed Jesus, nobody actually believed Jesus nobody expected nobody on Easter morning now before we're too hard on these disciples I want you to understand the impact of the resurrection see the message of Christ hinged on what he claimed about himself oftentimes when people bring up the ministry of Christ what they bring up is his miracles and his miracles of course are amazing the stories and the miracles of Christ are amazing stories in the Gospels. What people often bring up is his teachings. And of course, his teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or the parables that he taught are amazing stories. I mean, the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to the secular world, go down in history. The, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is known as the greatest short story ever written, even by secular standards. The ministry of Christ was a powerful ministry. His miracles, his teaching, all of it was amazing. But the message of Christ did not hinge upon his miracles. The message of Christ did not hinge upon his teaching. The message of Christ hinged on one thing, what he claimed about himself. 
that he was the Christ, that he was the chosen one, that he was the anointed, that he was deity, that he was the son of God, that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Messiah that was come, that he was the lamb of God that had been sent by God to take away the sins of the world. The power and the ministry of Christ was that it was hinged upon what he claimed about himself. And before we're too hard on these disciples for not expecting a body, let's remember that these were the people who had already uprooted their lives, had already followed Jesus for several years, had already put all their eggs in that basket of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what you need to understand. When Jesus died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. See, usually, usually when a leader dies, if anything, it, it, it brings new life to the movement. When a leader dies and he becomes a martyr, it, it, it brings life into the movement. People want to get the message out. But this was not the case with Jesus. Why? Because the message of Jesus was, I am the resurrection and the life. So when somebody says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life, there's not going to be any followers once that person dies saying, we got to keep the dream alive. He's still the life. No, he's dead. He's still the resurrection. No, he's in the tomb. See, let's not be too hard on these disciples because I think you and I might have been the same way. The message of Christ hinged on what he claimed about himself. And when Jesus died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. I want you to notice there in verse 8 of Luke 24. In verse 7, we see the angels give a gentle reminder saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. In verse 6, the angel said, remember how he spake unto you. And in verse 8, the Bible says, and they remembered his words. I want you to notice that there's an emphasis in this passage on the power of the word of God. We'll see it again later in the same story. But I want you to understand that the message of Christ hinged on what he claimed about himself, that he was a Christ, that he was the Son of God. The ministry and message of Christ did not hinge on his miracles, did not hinge on his teaching, although his miracles and his teaching were amazing. The reason that he was crucified was because of what he claimed about himself. They crucified him because he said he was the Christ, because he said he was the Son of God, because he said he was the King of the Jews. When he died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. But why is it that today, in 2023, several thousand, a couple of thousand years later, we gather together on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Christ because it is true that when Jesus died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. But when he rose from the grave everything he claimed about himself was confirmed in him that he really was who he said he was that he really was the son of god that he really was the sinless lamb and that he really could give salvation to mankind when jesus died everything he claimed about himself died with him but when he resurrected everything he claimed about himself was confirmed in him in christ in Jesus, which is why Christian believers gather, millions of them today will celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We don't gather at a burial plot of our leader, but we celebrate that in, in that sepulcher there is no body. 
because he really was who he said he was. I want you to notice that we see a conspicuously missing body. I want you to notice that we see a confirmed messiahship. He was who he said he was. The resurrection confirms it. I want you to notice thirdly this morning that we also see a corporal manifestation. I'd like you to notice in Luke 24 and verse 36. And if you'll notice, we're skipping. We've, we've, we've gone through verses 1 through 12. And we're going to skip verses 13 through 35. And we're going to begin at verse number 36. Now, we're skipping verses 13 through 35. And I just want to encourage you to be back tonight at 6 p.m. for our evening service. We're actually going to deal with verses 13 through 35 tonight. Verses 13 to 35 deal with a very specific appearance of the resurrected Christ when he appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's an amazing story, and we'll deal with it tonight, and it'll have its own sermon. But I want you to notice that we're fast-forwarding. Jesus has now resurrected. The women have came to the tomb. They have been told, they were given a gentle rebuke, and they were given a general reminder that this is what Jesus said would happen. And this confirms the fact that he really is who he said he was. The women have now gone to the disciples, and they have told the disciples about these things. And Peter and John have came back and confirmed that there really is nobody in the tomb. But they have not yet been convinced. In fact, they're just perplexed. They don't, they're wondering at these things. And then the Bible tells us in verse 36, the day has passed and they are meeting together on the first day of the week. You could call this a Sunday night service, which is why we have a Sunday night service here at Verity Baptist Church. Because the believers met on Sunday mornings and Sunday night. In Luke 24 and verse 36, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. I want you to notice that not only do we see a conspicuously missing body, not only do we see a confirmed messiahship, but we see a corporal manifestation. What do you, you say, what do you mean by that? I mean, it was a bodily resurrection. Jesus stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Verse 37. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. I mean, these guys, you, you can't cut them a break. They go from not believing that Jesus resurrected. They go from nobody expecting nobody. They go from being perplexed and, and wondering at the fact, where's the body? Where's Jesus? Then they're told by angels, no, he's risen. Don't you remember? This is what he said. Why seek ye the living among the dead? They've been told these things. Now Jesus is appearing in front of them, and they think it must be a ghost. I mean, they think we must be seeing things. Look at verse 37. And they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? Notice the gentleness of Christ. <laughs> they think they've seen a ghost. He says, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? He says, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Of course, we know that Jesus had had his hands pierced, his feet pierced as he hung on the cross. Though Jesus is now in his glorified body. And though we know that when we will one day be like him in our glorified bodies, all scarring, all disease, all sickness will 
be gone from our bodies. They'll be perfect bodies, complete, with no problems. But there'll be one glorified body that has still the marks of the old body, and it'll be Jesus. Those prints on his hands and on his feet are in his glorified body as a reminder to us of what he did and the sacrifice that he gave on the cross. Sometimes people ask, when we get to heaven, how will we know who Jesus is? You'll know because of the prints of the nails on his hands. You'll know because of the prints of the nails in his feet. Verse 39, behold, my hands and my feet, he says to them, that it is I myself. Then he says this, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet, notice again, believed not. But it's not, it's not that they have a bad attitude. It's not that they're believing because they're, they're cynical. It's, it's, it's one of these ideas like it's too good to be true. Because notice what it says there in verse 41. And while they yet believed not for joy. This idea, could, could it really be true? Could it really be? We saw him die on a cross. Could it really be that Jesus has resurrected? And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have, here any, have, have, uh, have ye here any meat? The word meat there in our King James Bible simply means food. It's interesting to me that Jesus, I think Jesus has a sense of humor. And we see it here in the story, but we'll see it tonight as well. If you've ever wondered about Jesus' sense of humor, we'll see it tonight even more clearly on the road to Emmaus. But these guys are, I mean, they're afraid. They're scared. They think they've seen a ghost. And he's like, you guys have anything to eat? Have you here any meat? Look at verse 42. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and oven honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. You say, why is this documented? Well, it's documented because it actually happened. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus is trying to prove to them that this is a bodily resurrection. He's not a spirit. He's not a ghost. He says, handle me. He says, touch me. He says, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And then to prove even further that he really was a body and it really was a bodily resurrection, he asked them to eat something and he took it and did eat before them. He eats a meal in front of them. He tells them to touch them. This is why John would begin his letter in 1 John at the end of the book of, uh, at the end of the New Testament, he would begin by talking about the word of God, which we have seen and which we have handled. He says, we've seen him, we've touched him, we know that it was a bodily resurrection. We see a corporal manifestation of a bodily resurrection. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you're there in Luke. If you go past the book of John, past the book of Acts, Past the book of Romans into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1 Corinthians 15. Notice verse number 14. I want you to understand that this was a bodily resurrection. There are those today who teach, so-called supposed believers of Christ who teach that he did not resurrect from the grave. The Jehovah's Witnesses are, are a group that's known for this. They teach that there was no bodily resurrection. They teach the opposite of what Luke is teaching us here, that he really, that it was just a spiritual resurrection. He just, he just showed up as a spirit, as a ghost, as a phantom. There are others who do not believe in the bodily resurrection. The Muslim this morning. The Hindu this morning. 
Many religions today will acknowledge that Jesus was a real person. They'll even acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet. They'll acknowledge that he was a good man. They'll acknowledge that, that many things about him. They'll say, yes, he was real. He, he, he was a prophet. Everything he said was true, but he didn't rise from the dead. They deny the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus appears to them, and he says, handle me. He says, touch me. I have bone. I have flesh. He said, watch me eat. Why? Because it was a bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Notice what the Bible says. Paul said this regarding the resurrection. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching, uh, he says, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. The word vain means empty. Then why do we need the resurrection? Because without the resurrection, if all Jesus did was die, then he's no different than any other man. Because men die. But Jesus died for our sins and then resurrected. Not only did he die and resurrect, but he predicted it. And he told them this is going to happen. Because he really was the son of God. Look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ be not risen, your faith is, is vain. Yet, he says, ye are yet in your sins. Look, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then you and I are on our, ways to hell, on our way to hell. We're yet in our sins. Look, notice what he says in verse 19. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Because Paul is dealing here in 1 Corinthians 15 with people who, who say, oh, we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe in the resurrection. We don't think he actually rose. We don't think anybody has risen from the grave. And Paul is telling them, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. And if Christ be not risen, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But then he corrects them in verse 20, and he says... If that's true, then those things are true. But here's the truth, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And become the first fruits of them that slept. He says, he is risen. He says, it was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a spirit. Go back to Luke 24. We see at this corporal manifestation that it was a bodily resurrection. But I want you to notice also that there is a biblical revelation. A bodily resurrection and a biblical revelation. Look at verse 44. Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you. While I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. The Bible says, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. In Luke 24 and verse 45, you might just read that and think it's just Luke telling a story. But this is actually something that is taught in the Bible as the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that unsaved people cannot understand the Bible. And you need the, the, because the Bible is a spiritual book, you need the Holy Spirit of God to understand it. Only those who are saved and have the Holy Spirit of God have the ability to open up the Word of God and understand it. 
This is the reason why there's so many false religions out there who teach the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Because when you hand a Bible to someone that's not saved, they read verses that say, not of works, lest any man should boast, but then they create religions that say, let's do as many works as possible so that we can boast. Here we see the fact that at the resurrection of Christ, there was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Luke 24, 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. I'd like you to notice a parallel passage to this if you flip over to John chapter 20. If you're there in Luke, just flip over to John chapter 20 and verse 22. John chapter 20 and verse 22. In John 20 and verse 22, we see this. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, and I preached an entire sermon series on the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to take the time to go through it now. But there's two facets of the Holy Spirit that you need to understand. One is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You get that the moment you are saved. Then there is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You get that as you allow yourself to be emptied of self and filled with the Spirit. We see both of those in this passage. We're not going to deal with the empowering of the Holy Spirit today. We will cover it when we finish our study in Luke on Wednesday night. I want to encourage you to be with us on Wednesday night for our midweek Bible study as we finish the Gospel of Luke. We'll see the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But here we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In John 20 and verse 22, we see a parallel passage. It's the same event going on as we read in Luke 24, 45. In Luke 24, 45, Luke simply told us that he opened... The, that he uh, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. In John 20, we're told how he did that. Verse 22, and when he had said this, notice what the Bible says, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Notice that they received the Holy Ghost, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, on that first Easter day. Now, some people will like to argue this, and honestly, I have no desire to argue this with you. I'm just telling you this is what the Bible teaches. If you don't believe that, that's fine. People often will want to say, no, no, the day of Pentecost was when they received the Holy Ghost. We will study that on Wednesday night. I encourage you to be with us for that if you'd like. But I want you to understand that at the day of Pentecost, Jesus, and ye shall receive power, is what he told them. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. That was the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens right here in John 20, 22, when the Bible says he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then Luke tells us when they had received the Holy Ghost, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. This is the indwelling and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Just to give you further evidence, go to John chapter 7. Real quickly, John chapter 7. We're almost done. John chapter 7, verse 38. John 7, 38. John 7, 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Say, what does that mean? Look at verse 39. The Bible is its own commentary. It explains to us what that means. John 7, 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Obviously, in John 7, Jesus has not yet died. The Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost had not been given yet because Jesus had not been glorified. 
in Luke 24 and John 20, we are now at the resurrection of Christ, after the resurrection, Jesus is in his glorified body, and as a result, he gives them the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because remember he said, I'm going to leave you, but my Father is going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And as a result of them being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they were able to understand, then he opened their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. Go back to Luke 24 real quickly, look at verse 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It's interesting to me that there is an emphasis here, and I want you to notice it. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus says, He said unto them, These are the words... These are the words. I just want you to notice it. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. What words? He says, which were written in the law of Moses. Notice he's talking about the Bible. Scripture. These are the words which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand that they might understand, that they might understand the scriptures. That they might understand the scriptures. Go back to Luke 24 and verse number uh, 44. Excuse me, verse number 6. Remember the women with the angels? Luke 24, 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember, remember, remember how he spake. Unto you, when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day be risen. Verse 8, And they remembered his words. They remembered what? His words. They remembered what? His words. You say, what is the emphasis being drawn here? The emphasis is on the bodily resurrection, but it is on a biblical revelation, and the emphasis is this. It's interesting to me. It's interesting that the women would show up expecting a body. Remember, nobody expected nobody. They show up expecting the body. Other gospels tell us that they're even talking amongst themselves. Who's going to roll the stone away for us? We're not strong enough to roll the stone away. They get there, the stone's rolled away. They look in the sepulcher, nobody. They go to the disciples and say, there's nobody in the sepulcher. And nobody, nobody, nobody at the experience of seeing the empty tomb. I hope one day you get the chance to maybe go and see the empty tomb. But what's interesting to me is that nobody who experienced, who visually saw the empty tomb, nobody walked out of there saying, this is what the prophets predicted. This is what Christ said. This must be the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. He's been resurrected from the grave to pay for our sins. Nobody walked away from that experience saying that. But when they were reminded of his words, they remembered. See, the power is in the word. It's interesting that they don't see the empty tomb and say, this is what the prophets predicted. They don't see the empty tomb and say, this is what Jesus predicted. But when they're reminded of his words, when Jesus says, these are the words which I spake unto you, that makes a difference. That's what convinces them. That's what helps them see. 
Is it no wonder the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, you don't have to turn there, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is it no wonder the Bible says in Jeremiah 23.29, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Is it no wonder that the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, is it no wonder that the psalmist says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Amen. It's no wonder Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, you might be here this morning and saying, Pastor Amen, as I showed up for this Easter service, I got an invitation at my door. Somebody invited me while I was out and about. I got something in the mail. And I showed up here, and I thought you would have a drama. I expected a rock concert. I mean, let's just be honest. Isn't that what most churches are doing this morning? I was surprised that the lights were on. I thought it'd be dark and there'd be smoke machines and there'd be lasers and they'd be playing uh, hippie music from the 70s. And then there'd be a drama and then there'd be music. I mean, sure, you had music. I mean, I think the, the choir was beautiful. I think the orchestra was beautiful. But I expected you to do what most churches do, which is to have an hour and a half of music and a five-minute sermon. But instead, you've had us sitting here for the last 45 minutes, and all you've done is go verse by verse, verse by verse, expounding, explaining the Word of God. Why is that? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. We do it that way because the power is in the Word. It is the Word of God that transforms lives. It is the Word of God that brings salvation. It is the Word of God that can change you. Parity Baptist Church, of the last 12 years of ministry, we began this church in our living room, my wife and I. And over the last 12 years of ministry, we have proven by God's grace that as people gather together, not to be entertained, not to be coddled, that they are brought together and they are taught the Word of God line by line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, that it is the power of the word of God that can bring you salvation. It is the power of the word of God that can transform your life. The power is in his word. Go back to Luke 24 and look at verse 44. We'll finish this up. And if you're a first-time guest, I encourage you to be back. Come back tonight, 6 p.m. Say, so what are we going to do? We're going to sing because the Bible tells us to sing. We're going to fellowship because the Bible tells us to fellowship. But you know what the number one priority, most important thing we'll do is we'll open up the Word of God. We'll learn it. We'll study it together. You say, come back. Well, maybe I'll come back on Wednesday night. You should come back on Wednesday night. You say, what are we going to do? Not much different than what we're doing now. We're going to gather together congregationally. We'll open up the Word of God, and we'll go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Why? Because the power, the answers are in God's Word. It is His Word. Not the empty tomb. Praise God for the empty tomb. But they walked into the empty tomb. Nothing clicked. But then when they were reminded of his word, there was power in the word. So we see the bodily resurrection, but we see the biblical revelation. Say, Pastor Menes, how do you know that Jesus rose? Because the word tells me so. 
Why do you believe these things from the Bible? Because the Bible is like no other book. The resurrection not only told us and manifested and confirmed that Jesus was who he said he was, the living word, but the resurrection confirmed for us that the Bible truly is the word of God. And it is the answer to all of life's needs. You say, are you one of those that believe? You believe in the Noahic flood? Well, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus believed in the Noahic flood. You, you, you believe in Adam and Eve? Well, I believe in Jesus because he rose from the dead, and he believed in Adam and Eve. You, you still believe that uh, Mosaic Old Testament law? You still believe those Psalms? You still believe those prophets? Well, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus confirmed by his death, burial, and resurrection that he was who he said he was, and he confirmed that the Bible was what it said it was. Amen. And it can change your life. And it can transform your life. You say, Pastor Jimenez, why would you like us to come back next Sunday? Beginning this new series on fulfilling your potential. You know why? Because we'll learn from the Bible how you can fulfill your God-given potential. It's the Word of God. Luke 24, 44, we'll finish up. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. Don't miss it. Concerning me. See, here's the truth. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a believer. I hope you are too. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't know if I died today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. Well, the resurrection makes it possible for you to go to heaven. It's not because of being a good person. It's not because of going to church. It's not because of living a good life. Listen to me. If you could go to church, if you could repent of your sins, if you could turn over a new leaf, if you could do enough works to go to heaven, why would Jesus have to come and die on the cross? He came because you could not. He died to pay for the sins that you and I could not pay for. And he resurrected to prove that he did. I hope you won't leave here this morning without letting us show you that you can be on your way to heaven. But maybe you're here and you say, no, I'm here on Easter service because I am a believer. I am a disciple. I, 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 I do believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am saved. Amen. And get yourself under the preaching of God's word. Amen. Because no drama, no experience, no show, no, no music can do for you what the word of God can do for you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we really do thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that your son was sent to die on the cross for our sins. And the resurrection not only confirms that he was who he said he was, but it confirms that the scriptures are what they say they are. I thank you that there's a church. I understand it's a little old-fashioned. I understand that we don't have all the technology and the gizmos that maybe other churches have, and that's for a reason. We just want to highlight the Word of God. We just want to learn the Word of God. We want to realize that the power is in the Word of God. 
We thank you that on this first Easter service, this first Easter morning in Luke 24, not only do we see a bodily resurrection, but we see a biblical revelation. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders. First of all,